Welcome to the Financial Insight Podcast, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. The Financial Insight Podcast is for professional investors only. Thank you. This conversation took place on the 14th of February, 2022. Today, we're going to be speaking to Randeep Samel. He is the fund manager of the Climate Solutions Fund at MNG. We see a lot of volatility in global markets the last couple of weeks, uh, especially in growth stocks. um, And uh, many of these include green companies. So maybe you could, let's just talk about this bit bit more broadly. And uh, you could maybe tell us a little bit about what you expect to see over the the coming months and going into Q2. Sure. Um, Well, growth stocks are green stocks. Um, If we take a step back for a moment and realise the endeavour globally that we have taken on with the net zero aims for 2050 and all countries and all major countries are now signatories, including the world's two largest emitters, both the US and China, Um, Bloomberg New Energy, who put out a report, reckoned that we need to spend somewhere in the region of 93 to 172 trillion between now and 2050 in order to hit net zero. And some, some countries have taken the lead, countries that have a natural advantage, um, the UK being an example. We have um, a lot of low-lying um, seabed around us, which is very windy. And um, effectively, uh, we can build lots of offshore wind and it's providing a good chunk of our energy today from renewables, and we're continuing to grow that. But what we've seen, um, last year and this year is that inflation for the first time in a very long time in decades going all the way back to the 1980s is now a concern Um, it's becoming quite clear now that governments have overstimulated post-covid this was a pandemic like no other we had never seen anything like it and they threw caution to the wind both from a fiscal and a monetary policy perspective Now that has now led to quite rampant inflation and it looks as if rates are going to rise. The Bank of England has started raising rates. The Fed has indicated that it will start its tightening process beginning in March of 2022. And this has put pressure on growth stocks. And the reason growth stocks are growth stocks is that they tend to trade on higher multiples in anticipation of beating the market on a top line basis going forward. Um, But what happens when you have more of your earnings and your cash flows into the future, you have to discount that back at a rate to get to a net present value today. And as interest start to rise, that discount rate starts to rise. So green stocks, being growth stocks, have started to fall a little bit foul of that. Now we believe that that is hugely overdone, that the growth underpinning it remains very, very strong. So while we've seen some volatility in the market currently, we see this and have seen this as an opportunity um, to increase our our weighting and increase our positions in those companies that are a bit more sensitive to growth going forward. You know, again, if you take a longer term view, you know, there isn't a, you know, name another trend going forward like the decarbonized trend that we are going to see guaranteed for the next 30 years if we want to live up to those net zero goals and those companies now that are going to be the building blocks of that are representing some pretty good value and not pricing in the growth that we're likely to see so we do remain confident and confident in that well look Um, We still need to achieve these aims. No country has said, well, actually, just because interest rates are going to rise, we are going to scale back our endeavour in order to hit net zero. The good thing about COP26 was that some medium term goals actually got put out there. So the EU, the US put out decarbonisation goals for the period 2030 to 2035. 
So rather than saying, right, you know, these, these goals will be achieved by 2050 when we won't be in power, let us put in targets for the next decade that we need to start working on today in order to get there. And from a company perspective, you know, companies aren't missing earnings. Growth still remains strong. The investment cycle still remains incredibly strong. It's just volatility in the wider market um, that has caused some frustrations. So longer term, we still think climate solutions companies are exceptionally well placed. And we do what we always do. We invest in companies that have strong brands, strong IP, strong technology, distribution, um, and that are likely to not only grow top line, but grow their margins and their cash flows as we get through this. And there are very few companies on the portfolio today, the MNG Climate Solutions Fund, that don't have um, positive operating and free cash flow. Mm. Yeah, that was really, really interesting. With rising energy costs, especially across Europe, are renewable energy providers part of the problem? Uh, or the solution? It, it is a challenge when you look at today. Inflation is riding and a large part of that is made up of energy costs. Gas prices have gone up extremely high. When you see electricity prices go up 10 plus fold in the space of a year, you realise that there is, you know, there's more than just a, a growth issue here, i.e. demand issue. There is a severe supply issue and geopolitics right now is having a huge, huge implications. Uh, for what we're seeing and all households are seeing now in terms of their energy expenses. Renewables are the answer. In, in, in one side of the argument, having more and more energy provided from renewable energy not only helps reduce carbon emissions, but gives countries energy independence. So that is a strong positive. Again, I'll give the UK an example. We have the two, world's two largest wind farms off our coast, Hornsey 1 and 2. Hornsey 3 and 4 will soon be also getting approval. So our ability to generate more electricity that's carbon-free, cheaper, and we ha has security, i.e. it's our own, is only a strong thing. Now, these infrastructure projects have exceptionally long lead times. You have tender processes, you have the build-out, you have the testing. It is not something that you can flip flip on very, very quickly. So are renewables going to sh uh, solve our short-term issues? Absolutely not. But longer term, what we're seeing today, in my opinion, backs up the case for renewables even more so, not less. Mm. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Let's dig into the second part of this, which is, um, so what is needed for, um, as you say, it's, it, it is a medium to long-term solution. So well, um, what is needed to sort of get these over the line? There is one big issue with renewable energy today in that it cannot provide baseload power. Offshore and onshore wind farms provide a good source of cheap, low-cost energy, low-carbon energy, but only when the wind's blowing. Solar provides good, low-cost, low-carbon energy, but only when the sun is shining. Um, so they cannot provide baseload power, and that is available when you need it instantaneously. That currently can only be provided by nuclear energy, coal, and natural gas. So there is that dichotomy in that more and more renewables are good at this stage, but they need to evolve so they can provide both base load and peak load power. And that requires energy storage systems to be part of the mix, i.e. large battery projects to come into place that can save energy, i.e. when the wind's blowing at night and we don't need it, which tends to be when wind blows a little bit more, 
you can store it in the battery and then use it during the day um, at times when you have those peak load demand phases. That at the moment in terms of the infrastructure and the cost is completely missing. It has started, there's a project in Wiltshire in the UK um, that is putting energy storage in. Another one I believe in Merseyside is due to start. In other countries, US is piloting projects. South Australia already, ha already has a battery project. So they will get there, they just take time. We still need to improve on the technology cost curve. We still need um, for um, energy prices, i.e. technology prices to come down. And once they do, we're gonna see more and more of this technology go up. Now, let me give you an example. Localized cost of energy from wind has fallen 90% in the last 12 years, 9-0. I mean, that's a huge saving. It's gone from requiring government subsidies to now not requiring subsidies and being cheaper than most fossil fuel forms of energy. So I have no doubt whatsoever that we will get there from a battery energy perspective. But again, it just takes time. And in that intermediacy, we still do require low carbon forms of non-renewable energy, whether they be nuclear energy or whether they be natural gas based. Mm. Yeah, really, really interesting. Okay, there's um, there's a there's a lot I want to ask you about. Sort of like a well, the first one is nuclear energy. Is 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 is, is nuclear energy so bad? Would be my question. And is it is it also kind of green? I don't know. Maybe you could tell me a bit about that. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> nuclear energy is green in the fact that it doesn't provide doesn't produce a huge amount of carbon emissions. So from that angle, absolutely, you know, it reduces uh, pollution and also the, the effects from climate change. It's not green in the fact that is that you create tons upon tons of nuclear, incredibly harmful radioactive waste. And that waste needs to be disposed of. That waste will pretty much never ever go away. You need to dig incredibly deeply into the earth and store it and it will stay there. Now, we've done it for, an, for a number of decades and there haven't been any issues yet, but the more we do it, the more waste we create, the more it has to go somewhere. And at some point, you know, there is a risk that there is um, a spill or an exposure. Similar thing with nuclear power. Now, again, it has been, you know, if you look over its history, all in all, it's, it has been a very safe form of low carbon energy. But we've had, it, had had instances, Chernobyl being the most famous, Fukushima in, 20, in the early 2010s, and also Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania, which gets forgotten. It came very close um, to a meltdown. So those concerns people just have. Now, we at MNG and especially on the MNG Climate Solutions Fund don't invest in nuclear energy although I appreciate you know there are pros and there are negatives against it um, but just if you take a, if you take out the impact side and look at it purely on an investment side um, it is a very very expensive form of energy the regulations quite rightly that are in place around nuclear plants and their operations have become incredibly um, costly, especially post Fukushima. So the uh, nuclear plants today cannot operate without government subsidies and therefore the, the consumer, the, the bill payer, will pay it um, when they pay their bills. So from an investment standpoint, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Hence, um, we've kept our um, exclusion in terms of nuclear energy. Will it play an important part in decarbonisation? I mean, clearly come, some countries think it do. Britain does. We're going to be opening Hinkley Point C in a couple of years. France, President Macron has just um, given the go-ahead for 14 new reactors. 
But if you look across the rest of Europe, Germany, uh, Spain, Italy have all either completely um, mothballed their nuclear plants or in the process of doing that. Now, in the, in the very short to medium term, that actually may result in increasing emissions. But longer term, you can see those countries are confident that they can get other forms of low or no carbon energy from renewables. But at the moment, you know, it's caused a lot of geopolitical ten tensions and has made Germany incredibly defendant, dependent on Russian gas. So in terms of, yeah, Nord Stream 2, so uh, especially with the energy prices and what we're talking about now, is this... Is and it's a broader question that I want to ask about sort of like it's like global convulsion, you know, um, that is uh, which is obviously happening now, very clearly happening on the border of Ukraine. But is this um, is is this a barrier to you know the green transition generally, and especially in terms of investment, and especially in terms of when you look at the prices of these stocks of businesses? Um, I don't know what you think of that question. If I don't know, you want to answer? Sure. That. No, no. I mean, if 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 you want energy security and longevity of energy supply, there is no better form than renewable energy. There is no better form of energy um, than solar and wind. Obviously, it has issues in terms of intermittency. It has issues in terms of volumes that you can produce. But both of those, hopefully longer term, will be resolved by increasing projects, one, i.e. more wind and more solar parks going up. And second, having the energy storage systems in place. And it's going to require a huge network of these batteries that come into place that in order will help solve that. But an interesting thing is, you know, electric cars. Electric cars can actually solve the problem. Not only can they solve uh, pollution and emissions issues, but the battery in your car can act as your own battery storage device. You keep it plugged in overnight. So when those wind farms are working at night and generating the electricity that no one wants, your car battery can store it. You can use the car during the day as and when you need. But also when it's parked up at home in the evening, when we hit peak load power, you can plug that back into your house and your mains and it can power your house effectively. Um, a single car battery can store a mu as much electricity that is needed for your average three bedroom house for two to three days. Well, you know, assuming you don't need it to drive the car as well. But I mean, it just shows the ability we're going to have going forward um, to store energy uh, when we need it and for use when we um, when we hit peak load times. But the interplay that it's going to play and how, you know, we're already on the cusp of solving a lot of these issues. It just needs further building out. So we've seen the US uh, re-enter the Paris climate deal um but the build back better um uh, bill has is trapped in congress i don't actually i haven't checked in on this for you know maybe a few weeks now so i don't know really where this bill is maybe it's you can there. tell it's still there okay yeah so um yeah well, what does this look like obviously america a major player in you know in tech and green energy and going forward assuming they will be um what, what, what does this mean for sort of the industry at large and yeah and, and energy sure well, I mean, it was incredibly positive news to see when um, President Biden, as he was campaigning and then when he was elected and then when he, he got into power in January 2021, the first thing he did was recommit the US to the Paris climate goals and for the US to hit uh, net zero by 2050. He also said he wanted the entire US grid to be carbon neutral by 2035. Again, these are lofty ambitions, but one that the, you know, the most successful country on earth and the world's third, second largest producer 
um, should be saying. Now, he put together two packages. The first was an infrastructure bill uh, around about 1.2 trillion. And, and that passed with bipartisan support. It had the support of both Republicans and Democrats in Congress. And obviously then uh, the Democrats sitting in the White House um, signed it into law. His second bill, called Build Back Better, which is much larger, closer to two trillion, um, is currently stuck in Congress. Now, this has come as a bit of a surprise in a shock to markets. And the reason being is that the Democrats control both the Senate and the House and obviously um, the executive, the White House, with President Biden. But two Democratic senators have got concerns because this bill, which started off as Build Back Better, a green infrastructure bill, um, has had so many things tagged onto it. They call it pork barrel politics in the US. Um, kindergarten, maternity cover, health provisions going forward, that the two senators that are holding out have said it started off as Build Back Better. You've added so many things into this bill to get it to two trillion that rather than it going through one committee, it now needs to go through all of the committees of Congress to get approval because the amount you are wanting to spend is large and we need a proper process for this to go through. The two senators that I'm referring to are Joe Machin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinica of Arizona. Now they're enough, given the Democrats have a 50-50 um, position in the, US Cong in the US Senate and not a single Republican is for it at this stage, um, that they can hold it up. The good thing is that both of those Democrats and even some Republicans have said, actually, the green infrastructure part of this bill is fantastic. The half a trillion that you've ascribed to that is very good. But don't, don't try and ram it through as one bill. Break it up into pieces and we'll vote on it piece by piece so we can see exactly what we're spending, exactly how long these bills, exactly how long these programs are going to last for. And it's just done in a more democratic and open environment. I'm still confident that this will get through, um, but time will tell. Uh, the midterms in the US, i.e. their sort of non-general election election, is in November of this year. So I'd hope to see some progress by then. And there's one key piece in this build. It's called the PTC incentive, the production tax credit. The US, you know, rather, rather fun. I don't know what the word is. It's quite funny. It's quite sad, actually. They've never built a single offshore wind farm. For a country of that side, for the land mass they have in terms of the oceans, they have never ever got round to it. They've only just provided um, tenders for um, offshore wind farms to begin, and the first ones now won't be in place till 2025. But in the bill is something called the PTC, the Production Tax Credit. Now, this has been around since 1992 when Bill Clinton was president, and every president since then, um, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and even Donald Trump, have continuously approved it every four years. And this provides increased incentivization for utility scale um, wind projects. Now, Biden put this in his Build Back Better pledge. And because that hasn't got through, um, the PTC tax credit hasn't got through either. So, the, you know, fingers crossed that they can put this pill, pull this bill apart and let it go through in its constituent parts. And then I'm sure that this will get through. The, the green infrastructure part of this, like I said, has bipartisan support. But um, Biden needs to not be held hostage by some of the, you know, ironically, some of the more left-wing members of his own Democratic Party that say, well, they're never going to vote for our pet projects here. So just leave it as one bill and it's either do or die moment. Hopefully they do pull it apart and actually the sensible parts of this bill do get passed through. So in that, I remain confident. But 
Let's assume it doesn't. Let's assume Build Back Better doesn't get through. And I, I, I say this a lot. The economics of sustainability stand up on their own legs. Um, all of these projects can work without government subsidy. Um, no company makes investments um, beholden to what the US government can do and who's going to be in power. Because as, as we've seen over the last decade, things can change pretty rapidly. But what this bill does mean is that these companies can simply shepherd things through much quicker and much more profitably and therefore incentivize us reaching those goals much, much quicker. So we've got one last question. It's about supply chain and infrastructure. And I think you've actually touched on it with what you said earlier with, um, you know, energy independence. That is, that is renewable energy. So maybe we could just um, we'd talk about that just in regards to supply chain and some of these sort of issues we're still having sort yeah. of following COVID. Yeah. I mean, supply chains... Are, are a big issue at the moment for anyone building out green infrastructure, especially on the renewable side. Um, getting, for example, your, your turbines for your wind farms out of um, production and to the areas they need to be, having critical components um, in order to build these things out are all providing uh, to be quite problematic at the moment. Orsted, building a, a wind farm here in the UK, had to slow things down because of Omnicrom and um, just ports being blocked, including and especially um, in China. As COVID starts to dissipate, um, fingers crossed that these, these bottlenecks start to get a lot big better. Um, the semiconductor shortage, for example, you know, these wind farms require a lot of computer chips in order to operate. Um, solar panels require computer chips in order to operate. And the, the re reduced capacity in production caused by the COVID crisis over the last two years has affected everything, including electric vehicles. You know, the demand would be even higher if these chips were available. The companies now do think that it will pers persist at least until the end of this year. So that has caused um, concern. I mean, the good thing is that the demand is still there. The capacity is still coming on. But we have, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus pandemic, um, this has been slowed down um, over the last couple of years. And in order to meet these carbon goals, you know, we need all cylinders firing um, pretty strongly. I'm hoping, you know, we've started looking, you look at the UK now, we've got growth rates, highest we've seen since the Second World War. Um, a lot of that is the economy getting back up to speed, but also catching up a little bit of the losses that we have made. You know, unemployment levels are incredibly low. People are finding work very quickly because there's a lot of work out there. So hopefully the supply chains issue begins to right size, right size themselves. Unfortunately, I think it will persist, persist for a long time, i.e. Um, throughout towards the end of this year. Randeep, just have to say thank you so much for chatting to me today. No problem. Thank you very much, Peter. The Financial Insight podcast is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.